Good morning. The tomb is empty. Some of us needed that this week, didn't we? Or maybe this year. It's been one of those years for you. This is good news. The tomb is empty. And that changes everything. We're no longer bound by the power of sin. Satan has been defeated. And one day, we'll know the, the, the reality that's already present. The death has been defeated in the end. In fact, you know, a baseball season is starting, and I hope this good news means the Yankees won't win this year, right? Like, like this is the kingdom of God on earth. Is God doing a new thing in a new day? And it's good to celebrate this morning with you. I'm excited about this series. We're starting this morning with a new series called All Things. The tagline is The God Who Restores. And I want to tell you about a God who is not the God we often hear about in our culture. I don't know about you, but I often hear about a God who seems to be behind the times. A God who's struggling to keep up with culture that seems to progress ahead of God. That that's something of the past and we're moving into a new era. But I don't believe that about our God when I read Scripture. This is a God who's actually ahead of us, a God whose future is far better than the the present that we encounter, and a God who's bringing that future to bear on the earth starting today. It's not fully present, but days like today are reminders about his future that is the way the the world will one day be. And so when we live into the world today, we live in tune with his future, amen? We We live as the kingdom of God will one day be in its fullness when it is here. You know, this series emerged for me. As I was doing a Bible concordance study on BibleGateway.com of all places, I was studying for a, series, a sermon when I first got here, one of the first sermons I preached earlier this year, and I just typed in this phrase, all things. It was in the passage that I was studying, and you know what emerged? About 48 verses, I can't remember the exact number about that, and the themes that emerged from that, that, that just search on Bible Gateway, all of a sudden I saw there's something to this phrase about a God who's bigger than the God we've sometimes told about. A God who's far ahead of us. A God who created all things. And we'll talk about that next week. But it's a God who's going to restore all things. And the reason he's going to restore it is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So come back the next few weeks if this is your first time here. I'm excited to share more. But this morning I'm going to come out of Romans chapter 8 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open to Romans 8. We'll have the words on the screen in a moment as well. But let's pray as we open God's word together. Father, you are mighty to save, and death has been defeated. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? God, we, we thank you that we can say those words this morning, that we can echo what Paul wrote centuries ago, and yet today we feel the sting of death still. We see senseless tragedy. We've experienced death in our own family, God, and some of us wonder how we'll go on to the next day. And so, God, today, just for today, would you remind us of a hope? that we can trust our lives on, that we can build our lives on a hope that's established, that is firm and secure. It's an anchor for our soul. This morning, God, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Romans 8, I want to read verse 28. And we know That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. i got to tell you, I've struggled with this verse for years. And the first time I remember having a struggle with it was during my junior year of high school. I was actually at Holly, my wife's house at the time. We were dating at the time. 
And our, in our youth group, we had a large youth group at church, and we got a call about one of the students in the youth group, a young boy named Stevie, who had been in an accident. He'd been doing what he loved best. He was riding on a skateboard in a street, and he didn't see the car that was turning, and the car didn't see him, and the car ran over him. That's all we knew. We knew he was being rushed to the hospital. And I remember just praying and tears flowing to my eyes, thinking about Stevie, who was younger in the group. He was my brother's best friend's younger brother. And later that night, before I went to bed, I heard the news from my parents that Stevie had passed away. And I remember going to church the next morning looking for some word of hope in the midst of the darkness that that our youth group wasn't what it was, that our church wasn't what it was without Stevie being present there. And I remember our youth minister, vividly what he did that morning. He he had a, a, a circle of chairs that he surrounded the room with. We were all silent, not knowing what to say, but we all sat in this circle, and there was a chair in the middle that was empty. That chair was there, as the youth minister said, this is, just let this chair represent God. It's empty here, but he's hearing our prayers. Anything that you need to say this morning, he can take it. Just say whatever you need to say. We want to go through this together. And it was silent for a while, but I broke the silence saying the only thing I knew to say, and I said, God, in your word, you say that in all things you work for the good of those who love you, but I can't possibly see what good can come out of this situation. For the last 14, 15 years, this verse has been a struggle that I've had because I don't always see the good that God promises in a verse like this. <clears throat> My guess is that many of us in this room have, not Stevie is the name, but fill in the blank of some person in our life who's passed. Maybe it's a, a child or maybe it was a spouse early in our lives or, or maybe it's been someone close to us. Maybe it's not a, a death, but maybe it's been another suffering or a sorrow or a tragedy that just seems to cloud our vision and, 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 and surrounds us too often. And we struggle with a verse like this. And my guess is, in a room this size, that in the midst of that tragedy, in the midst of that sorrow, there may have been mel- well-meaning Christians who gave you this verse, hoping it would be good news, but it didn't come as good news. They said, Don't worry, in the end, all things work together for good. We do these things as Christians sometimes, don't we? Rushing for words to fix sorrow that just words can't possibly fix. So this morning, I want to apologize to you on behalf of those Christians who tried to bring comfort to say, that's not the best word in a time like that, is it? It's not all good in the midst of suffering. There are times in our lives where Mourning and groaning, that's what Scripture describes we're to do. Read through the Psalms and see the laments and see that God's always seen it as okay for us to cry out to Him in the midst of sorrow and tragedy. So this verse sits with me and I wonder what good news might it be for us this morning. What do you do with a passage like Romans 8.28 with the sorrows that we have in the room this morning? But I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Before I come back to Romans 8, I want to tell the story of another character in Scripture, a guy named Joseph. Now, if you're familiar with the Jesus story, you may be familiar with Jesus' earthly father. His name was Joseph. That's not the Joseph I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about uh, a character in the Old Testament named Joseph. Joseph had 11 brothers, all kinds of trouble in that family. He came from a line of important people in Scripture. Abraham was in his family line, and Isaac was his grandfather, and and Jacob was was his father. Joseph had a really good life starting out. His dad liked him a lot. In fact, his dad liked him all more than the rest of his brothers. And he made that known. He gave him this ornate robe, which you're thinking, there's a better gift that you can give. You know, some of you got a better gift this morning for Easter, right? But 
But he gets this robe, and it seems to be a great deal. And it was clear to the rest of his brothers that the favorite was Joseph. Some of you may have grown up in a family like this. Maybe you were the favorite, or maybe you weren't. But it was clear who the favorite was. And that was true in this family. And these brothers got tired of hearing about Joseph's dreams. Joseph had a couple of dreams he told them about. He told them about one dream where they were out in the field gathering grain and the sheaves of grain were being pulled together and, and, and all the rest of the sheaves of grain, there are 11 of them, they bowed down to his sheaf. Like that's a dream you don't tell your brothers and sisters, right? But he did. He told about another dream where the sun and the, the, or the moon and the stars, they all bowed down to him. And there were 11 stars of all numbers, Right? And his brothers were tired of hearing these stories about how Joseph was the favorite and how they were all going to bow down to him one day. And, and the story goes on and they end up doing something that's hard to him. Not an April Fool's joke. They sell him into slavery. You talk about a messed up family. This is the story in Genesis. This is how we hear the story begins, right? This is Abraham's family line. But Joseph gets sold into slavery. They, they find a band of Ishmaelites and they sell him and he ends up in Egypt. And in the midst of that sh- struggle. My question if I'm Joseph, and maybe some of you in the sorrows that we talk about in our lives, maybe the question you ask most of God is, where is God in the midst of all this? It's a question that reverberates in my mind when I think back in my life, but Genesis tells us exactly where God is in this story. If you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen as well, but Genesis chapter 39. I want to read what Joseph, uh, what's shared there about what happened in the midst of this slavery and his brothers and all this. Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When he saw his master, uh, when, he, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the, his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Where is God in the midst of this? The Bible's clear where God was. The Lord was with Joseph. Well, the story continues on, and and he rises up in Potiphar's household, but eventually Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. Actually, she comes after him and tries to sleep with him. It's, It's a tough scene, and Joseph runs out of the room as fast as he can, and in her embarrassment, Potiphar's wife goes back and tells Potiphar, hey, Joseph tried to take advantage of me. And you can imagine the response of Potiphar. Potiphar takes him and he throws him into prison, upset that his servant could do such a thing. Wrongfully accused, Joseph ends up in prison. If I'm Joseph, you know what my question would be? Where is God in the midst of this? And Scripture continues to tell the story and tells us exactly where God is. It's Genesis 39, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Again, Scripture reverberates, the Lord was with Joseph. Well, the story continues on. And he ends up interpreting other dreams, not about himself, but Pharaoh has these dreams. And it's about seven healthy cows and seven cows that aren't so healthy. And, And Joseph says, here's what the dream means. For seven years, Egypt is going to be a land of plenty. There will be plenty to go around. But then after those seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine, seven years of not enough. So Pharaoh says, okay, I'm going to make you in charge of this whole process. If you can interpret that dream, I want you to continue to interpret more than that. 
So would you come and take care of us? Make sure we save up enough so we have enough for the years of famine. And so Joseph becomes second in the entire land of Egypt over this whole project. And guess who shows up on his doorstep just a few years later? Joseph's brothers. They're showing up because they don't have any food and Egypt seems to be the only place where there's enough food. So they show up in Egypt and and here's this concern and this need and Joseph shows up and he knows who the brothers are. The brothers don't recognize him and his garb in Egypt. Now can you imagine your brothers selling you into slavery and then showing up and here are your brothers. You've got all the power in the situation. What would you do in that moment? It's amazing how Joseph comes to a place after all these years to a healthy place to narrate his story in this way. I want to read from Genesis 45, verse 4. This is what Joseph says to his brothers in that moment. Genesis 45, verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then... It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Isn't that amazing in this story how he narrates that? He says, you thought you were in charge when you sold me into slavery, but guess what? God was actually in charge. He knew what he was doing, and he meant it for good. In fact, a few chapters later, he he narrates this again in Genesis 50, verse 20. This is what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. You know, the miracle of the story is partly that Joseph ends up where he does, but there's another miracle in the story, and it's the fact that Joseph can actually interpret a story through his suffering in a way that he sees God, who was there all along, was able to save him and use him to save his family. God had sent him there for a reason. I'll tell you, when we go through suffering or trauma or tragedy in our lives. It is so hard to see 20 years down the line, isn't it? But Joseph, after those 20 years, was able to look back, after how many years it was, to look back and see what God had done to do good for the sake of his family. See, what God uses, or what people use for harm, God often can turn around for good. Which brings me back to that verse that I read earlier, Romans 8, 28. In fact, let's read from Romans 8, 28 once again. Romans 8, Verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, as I said earlier, Christians have used this verse in some ways that have been harmful to those going through tough times. Almost as if to say, don't worry, God's got it. He's going to take care of you. It's all going to be good. When it's not all going to be good all the time, is it? There is trouble. There is strife. There is conflict. But notice what this verse says. Look, look, look closely at what is written here. It doesn't say God's going to do good and make your life turn out good all the time. It says in all things, meaning in the good and in the bad, right? In all things, no matter the situation, God works for the good of those who love him. Now there are a lot of people that read the Bible and the way they come out and interpret it is to say that God is orchestrating every detail that goes on in our lives 
So when a tornado or a hurricane emerges and happens on the earth, there are Christians that are real willing to step up and say, I'll tell you exactly why that happened, because there was sin in this city, and God sent that tornado. And i got to say, if, if Jesus didn't even know when the end was going to come, that's only the Father, maybe we ought to be a little bit more humble about our interpretations of what God's up to. I don't think God's orchestrating every single act that goes on in our lives. God's not doing everything in the world. What Romans 8, 28 tells us is that God can do something with everything in the world. It's not that he makes every situation good the way we would want it. It's that he takes all things, he works in all things for our good in the end. And isn't that a completely different way to look at this from the way sometimes we talk about this? That God, what are you up to? To thinking about God who's there beside Jesus at the cross. Even when Jesus feels he's forsaken God, God's still there seeing, at least looking over it. And I know we wish God would fix everything. There are times where we wish, God, why don't you step in and change this? But we serve a God that Romans promises us. He's not doing everything in the world, but he can work to do anything with those things for the good of his people. God takes everything that we mess up and he says, I can do something with that. Some of you have restored cars. You've restored different things. You know what it takes to take something that's broken and to restore it to something that's made new. That's what God does. He's the great recycler. He does not waste our pain. He uses our pain in order to to form us sometimes. And we'd love not to go through the pain and the suffering sometimes. But how many of us can raise our hand this morning and say we would not be where we are today if it weren't for the trouble that we went through in our life? You know, every story, every great story, think about movies you see on the screen. Every great story has conflict, doesn't it? And our problem is when we get to conflict in our lives, we often think God's not in the picture and the story's over. But the story always emerges past that, doesn't it, in those movies? In fact, the greater the conflict, the greater the story and the greater the testimony that God brings out of that. And so some of you may be in the midst of that conflict right now. It's hard to know what God may be up to, but the truth in Genesis should be a comfort to us that God never left Joseph. Even in the hardest of moments in Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph. He was working, and even when it seemed that he wasn't. In fact, if you think about it, redemption is not possible without suffering. What we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus, we couldn't celebrate the resurrection without the suffering and the cross and the death of Jesus happening. I mean, the most evil event that happened in the world, Satan thought he had won on the cross. He thought all of his schemes had come together. And even in that moment, in all things, God climbs inside of it and he flips the script on Satan. And that's the moment of our victory. Isn't that amazing what God does? He's a God who works in all things for the good of those who love him. And by the way, the Greek may be important for you to know in this. When it says all things, it's a little hard to translate. It actually means all things, okay? It's that simple. Like in everything, in every situation in our lives, God has the ability for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose, to work inside of it, to bring something beautiful out of it. Here's a principle we need to know in the midst of this, though. You know, our, our definition of good and God's definition of good are often a little bit different, aren't they? When I think about the prayers that I often pray, I, I pray for that good, and it's kind of a short-term good. God, I want this to work out this way. God, I want you to to heal this person of, of, of some sickness that they have. We often pray about short-term things, but God's got a longer view perspective on things. And the things that we think are good in the short term, he knows that some of those things may not turn out in the long term the way that he needs them to turn out. 
So I'm trusting that God has a perspective that's a little bit uh, distant from things. I'm in the middle of it, and I know what's good for me, but God sees a larger picture. What would it be like to trust that maybe in the midst of things, God works in all things for the good of those who love him? So what is that good that God's working toward? Well, he answers that in the next verse in Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That tells you what the good is. God has predestined. He's already decided beforehand. He's trying to form us to look like Jesus. That's what our, our, our future goal is. It's not just to go to heaven one day. It's to look like Jesus in our lives as often as possible. And how did Jesus become who he was? Part of it included suffering. So to pretend that in our lives we don't need suffering to become what Jesus calls us to be, I, I just think our world is not that way. We've got to be honest about that. But when it comes to Easter Sunday, I know there's lots that struggle to believe in the resurrection. And it's, I mean, it's not one of those things that we see every day, right? I mean, that, I don't see empty tombs or empty you know, cemeteries, people coming out all the time. That's not normal. But that's what we proclaim this morning is that the tomb is empty. And the, the most helpful thing for me to believe that, I, there's all kinds of reasons I believe in the resurrection, but maybe the most important reason I believe in the resurrection is because I've experienced the resurrection. I've experienced a, in my own life a, a brokenness, a time where God has used the sin in my life and he's broken me through it and he's, bring, he's raised me to new life. And many of you have experienced that resurrection as well. You see, the truth is we all have a story. And many of you could tell your story this morning as well. And my story, uh, just a few years ago, looked something like this. I was broken. I was trying to find my identity in my career, which so many of us try to do, I think. You know what God did in the midst of that? He restored that brokenness. And this is my story today. And I'm not the only story you're going to get to see today. God is doing resurrection, not just on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, but in the stories of the rest of these that are going to share their story just right now. You 
This is who we are. We're not ashamed of our past. We're just hopeful about the future that God is redeeming in our lives, even right now. Let me just tell you, these aren't all fixed people, right? We're all in the process of being transformed, and many of you could share these stories as well. But let me remind you, the same power that's at work in the resurrection of Jesus, it's still alive today. And it's working and doing powerful things, and these are the testimonies that prove it. Maybe today you want to know more about the power of God and how to experience that kind of resurrection in your life. Pray that the Spirit would do that. We can't possibly do that on our own. It's God who's at work. But I'd love to tell you more. If you want to come up front after, feel free to find me or go back, find our elders in the room in the back and some prayer partners after our service. But be standing now as we have our benediction. May the same power that was at work in the resurrection be at work in your lives today in all things. May we love God. May we love people. May we serve others. Go in peace today.